0: Welcome to Into Security, InfoSecurity
1: Magazine's podcast. Hello, welcome to Into Security, the InfoSecurity Magazine podcast. I'm Dan Raywood. And Michael Hill here, editor. Thank you for joining us for this, our latest uh, podcast in our series. Yeah, this is podcast number nine and uh, delighted to well to be bringing you some of the news we've been covering on InfoSecurity and also some of the news we've seen uh, in the wider cybersecurity world. Uh, I'm going to kick off this month with um, well, something we originally referenced in uh, number three. So I don't remember which month we did number three, but uh, earlier this year, which is the Bluekeep vulnerability. Um, we're calling it that rather than uh, CVE 2019-07-08. Uh, and some of you down there don't like naming vulnerabilities or exploits, but uh, Blue Keep is a lot easier to remember, I think. But just a reminder, this is a vulnerability in uh, the remote desktop protocol that can lead to robust wormable exploits. Uh, back in uh, podcast number three, uh, we referenced some of the research, including from Rob Graham from Marata Security, who said he found one million devices on the public internet that were vulnerable to this bug. Uh, he said at the time when the worm hits it'll likely compromise those million devices. Well, here we are in November, and just a couple of weeks ago, actually in November, it was reported by Wired that security researchers had spotted evidence that their honeypots were being compromised en masse, uh, using the BlueKeep vulnerability, um, all was seen actually was the installation of a crypto miner, which used processing power from the um, uh, the exploited machines to generate cryptocurrency. And um, it just seems that the attackers using this had scanned the internet for vulnerable machines to exploit. So the feeling that we got from some of the research we read was that this current wave is unlikely to result in an epidemic, which some uh, referenced. Could be as bad as maybe the WannaCry and NotPetya uh, ransomwares from 2017. Uh, Also in BlueKeep News, uh, a story we ran on the 21st of November on InfoSecurity reported that Microsoft had issued a statement saying that Microsoft Teams was the uh, infection point uh, for attacks installing the Doppelpamer ransomware. Uh, so it's you know, it's come around again. And um, researcher Kevin Beaumont said in his blog, so far the content being delivered with Blue BlueKeep appears to be frankly a bit lame. Coin miners aren't exactly a big threat. Uh, however, it is clear people now understand how to execute attacks on random targets. Uh, he said this activity doesn't cause me to worry, but it does cause my spider sense to say this will get worse later. Be uh, clarification on that Microsoft situation. That yeah, they were talking about about actually infections and you know we're talking a company like microsoft let's be clear if they actually said uh, that uh, teams was the infection point or not well we'll clarify that but um it, it's initially michael that BlueKeep has been you know we're talking about trends we'll come up to some of the content we're going to be doing for the end of this year but that ransomware is still sticking there but mm. this this one particular vulnerability hasn't really gone away and there the patch is available but again people aren't
0: putting, putting yeah. it in i think that's Exactly right, Dan. It comes back to that old thing of you know patch management, and you know how many times do we see these vulnerabilities, which are nothing uh, particularly sophisticated. They've been around for a while, but um, if people aren't patching or, or fixing them, they still uh, can prove to be a door door into well, uh, an organisation. Um, so the next piece of news that we covered, really big piece of news actually on on the site, which was. Uh, Another um, story of exposed um, consumer data. Now, this was personal information on over one billion individuals harvested by two data enrichment firms uh, that has been exposed online. That's according to security researchers. Now, data enrichment or aggregation providers effectively sell access to large stores of data merged from multiple third-party sources, um, mainly for companies to to use to gain deeper insights into current and prospective customers. Obviously there's certain risks with that. Now back in um, mid-October, um, two researchers, Bob Diachenko and Vinny Trora discovered a, a wide-open Elasticsearch server containing 4 billion user accounts across more than four, uh, four terabytes of data. Um, so an actual comment that was from uh, Vinnie Traora said, a total count of unique people across all data sets reach more than 1.2 billion people, making this one of the largest data leaks from a single source organization in history. The data leak, um, data uh, confirmed names, email addresses, phone numbers, LinkedIn, and Facebook profile information. Um, it's not exactly clear, according to the research, uh, who left the data exposed on the uh, Elasticsearch uh, server. Um, but actually, Troy Hunt also commented on this. So obviously, Troy Hunt's famed to have, have I been pwned. Um, and he said the case highlights a real challenge at the heart of the uh, data enrichment industry. He, uh, he, he said, regardless of how well these data enrichment companies secure their own system, once they pass the data downstream to customers, it's completely out of their control. Um, my data, almost certainly your data too, is replicated, mishandled and exposed, and there's absolutely nothing we can do about it. Well, almost nothing. So it does seem as if the, uh, the companies in question did, did try to um, secure the information, but it's obviously been exposed.
1: Yeah, and, and data or well, data breaches haven't got any better in, in 2019. Um, I mean, the one someone did ask me uh, a few months ago, what have been the highlights of the news over 2019? And the one that just came straight to mind was Capital One. So you've got to consider that if you if your data is breached, it's going to end up on some kind of dark web database somewhere, and um, well, that's not particularly good, really. No, it's not. I mean,
0: just just to add here, I mean, this is, again, this is coming from the researchers, so they discovered the Elasticsearch server containing all of the information and that it was actually un- unprotected and uh, accessible uh, via a web browser. There was no password or authentication of any kind uh, was needed to access or download all of the data. So they were actually pretty, uh, pretty lax with security
1: on, 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 that, uh, on that data. Yeah, sure. Just a quick clar- clarification on the Microsoft. Um, they actually d- declined rumours about Teams being used by cyber criminals to install ransomware for the uh, Payment ransomware. This is according to a, a blog by Simon Pope uh, back in mid November. I just want to clarify that before we uh, get some phone calls. So um, <laughs> let's move on to another story. And this this was quite an interesting one from uh, the 12th of November, where the, uh, the Labour Party here in the UK claims that it had been hit by a sophisticated and large-scale cyber attack uh, on its digital platforms. Um, I, I interestingly, I was actually just leaving my house. I was going to an event at um, an event over in West London. I live on the other side of London, and it took me about an hour to get there. And just as I left my house, I heard about some rumours about Labour being hit. And um, Michaels was in the office, thankfully to deal with that and by the time I got to my destination about just under an hour later it just in, uh, downscaled to a DDoS attack so um, we'll let you listening determine if a DDoS is a sophisticated and large scale cyber attack uh, I should point that we didn't come up with that term uh, the Labour Party's uh, press office did um, but the uh, according to our story from the 12th of November uh, a spokesperson for the Labour Party said the attack failed to breach any data because of the party's robust security systems they said security procedures have slowed down some of our campaign activities, but these were restored this morning, and we are back up to full speed. Um, uh, a few obviously, they've created quite a sort of a buzz of, of news that morning. Uh, Gordon Carrera from the BBC said this was a low-level denial of service incident, not large, large-scale or sophisticated. Uh, it was reported to the NCSC, uh, but they did not take any action. Um, Speaking of the NCSC, they said uh, in terms of this incident, the Labour party followed the correct agreed procedures and notified us swiftly. Um, they were confident the party took the necessary steps to deal with the attack. Um, I actually bumped into a, a spokesperson from the NCSC, NCSC earlier just this week. And uh, I said, what did you think of this? And they said, you know, actually that they acted very well. Uh, I said, do you believe this was this was a targeted, you know, or was it kind of a random hit on a DDoS on, uh, on a, a number of IP addresses? They certainly believe that it was targeted, and um, obviously, you've got to consider at the moment that the general election it takes place in about three weeks here in the UK. I think on the twelfth of December, so um, this was a, a, literally a month before. Michael, I don't, I don't know how you're voting yet, but um, <laughs> you know, the, what do you think? You know, we're talking about election security a lot, so this doesn't actually hit the, the voting platforms, but it certainly takes quite a statement politically. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously covered this um, on the day that the, the news broke and
0: you know you see these headlines you know coming out and you know um, Labour Party you know released a statement saying they've suffered a large and sophisticated attack and obviously you know within hours after we knew that we kind of looked into that that hasn't been the case but it does you do have to beg a question you know when statements like this are made you know has Labour Party gone about it the right way there? I know NCSC said they've you know, processes they've done have have been corrected are notifying them and that's fair enough but you do you start to wonder about some of the language that gets passed around uh, you know regarding these things it can cause a lot of panic and made all the news headlines and of course it's going to Um, but actually when you look at it you think some of the language that's being used isn't um, isn't ideal I
1: would say. No no absolutely not and the, the NCSC did say they treat any attack against a political party seriously well that's yeah I'm sure they treat most attacks seriously but um, there was one great comment I saw which was uh, because this was a, a DDoS rather than a single attack it was by the many not the few. <laughs> uh, those of you who know your political slogans will know obviously that is uh, the, the slogan of the current uh, Jeremy Corbyn their Labour Party but um, like I said you know we're a few weeks away from the election here so and also with there's a US election next year. So political let's call it political interference uh, in, and this is going to be a, certainly a trend going forward I think. Mm.
0: Another story then and this one involving uh, fines particularly the ICO, so the Information Commissioner's Office. Now some um, some research was uh, carried out by um, SMS API provider, the SMS works. And actually they discovered that um, in the over the last few years, since what 2015, the ICO has um, ICO has been uh, struggling to recover some of its fines. Now, um, obviously, these are pre-GDPR fines. All of these, so the the maximum possible fine is I think it's up to 500,000 uh, pounds, and that's obviously under the old Data um, Protection Act. But um, the research had it that um, ICO has fined 152 organisations a total of 6.6 million. Uh, pounds for mainly data breaches, spam, and nuisance calls. However, some 30% are still unpaid, which amounts to over seven million, or 42% of the total. Um, the prime offenders for non-payment are in the claims management sector. This is according to the research from SMS Works, uh, companies responsible for tens of millions of nuisance calls over the years. Uh, so far, so far, 84% of fines have um, been left unpaid in this sector. So. This seems to be the uh, nuisance calls sector in particular seems to be um, failing to, to pay uh, fines. Um, Research has noted this could often be because the companies involved go bankrupt to avoid payment. I guess that's a good point. Um, in fact, by category, the, I, the ICO has only collected 23% of nuisance calls fines versus 64% of email spam fines and 74% for SMS spam. When it comes to data breaches, 85% of fines have been paid. Uh, in contrast to the claims management industry, charities and public sector organisations have paid 100% of the fines levied against them. Um, interesting one. Obviously, like, I'm, yeah, like I said there, these fines are all pre-GDPR, but it does make you wonder, you know, since 2015 there's been a relatively high number of, of fines that haven't been paid. I think it's a fair point to, to make regarding the nuisance calls fines. I guess a lot of companies do normally... Go bust, I guess, or, or go into liquidation to avoid paying any, any fines. But it's an interesting one, it does make you wonder going forward if we do start to see massive, uh, huge, huge fines, you know, levied by ICO under GDPR,
1: yeah. how long does it take for those fines to be paid? And, like I said, you know, companies go bust, it might be some kind of startup or, you know, know anything from some temporary company that is doing these nuisance calls. And by the time, of course, the regulators come around and actually caught them, as it were they they you know disappeared or you know they oh actually you know we've cleaned ourselves out we haven't got money to pay these fines the other thing of course is your the ico came under criticism for sort of finding nhs trusts and charities because of course they were having to disclose under the, the previous uh, data protection act which led to some sympathy because they're you know every time they're they're fining them say two hundred thousand pounds that's two hundred thousand pounds that isn't being spent on healthcare or or, or whatever you know in wages and stuff like that. And nothing gets to sort of the uh, you know the British out more than you know defending the NHS. So um, I I wonder it, it is an interesting one. And also the, the other consideration here is of course cyber insurance because if, if I wonder if a cyber insurance policy would cover um, a data breach fine. Mm. I would presume it would. I th- yeah, I think I think it's a bit of a grey area. I from
0: yeah. what I've read. Um, Some do and some don't. I think it can depend on the policy and the the policy provider, but it's certainly something which I think is going to be of more importance going forward for sure.
1: Definitely, and obviously, uh, I I don't quite know what the situation is with the two fines for GDPR um, infringements by BA and Marriott. I guess that's one we'll maybe hear about in 2020. But it's, you know, that they're big companies. If a GDPR style fine were to be hit against a smaller company, then. Yeah, that things might be very different. Um, just the last story then for us, um, uh, just with some of our other things we've been up to. Uh, this one was around some Ferrari I saw on Twitter where influencers were being asked to promote a product that they weren't even, even able to test. Um, uh, Matt Summers, who is a well-known security researcher and also head of the B sides Manchester show, said that four people, four Infosec people with over ten thousand followers, were advertising for a security product from the company Lenovo. Uh, he said they were surefire way to a block. Um, uh, also, another researcher, John Optenacker flagged the email on Twitter saying they were working in partnership with Novo to identify and hire experts in the tech industry to review and give an opinion on the most recent security solution. Um, He said that the email said, we believe you to be one of these experts. And uh, they described what uh, this product called ThinkShield, which is a um, a portfolio of devices, software, processes and service to provide end-to-end security, customizable to your business and personal needs. we say, said by partnering with experts such as yourself, we were looking to generate interest uh, of the ThinkShield capabilities via social media. Um, uh, also. Uh sort of targeted, as it were, uh, to be one of these influencers, was uh, security researcher and social engineer Jason Street, who said that a few months ago he was approached by someone who wanted me to talk about a security product that a certain laptop company was coming out with. We obviously know who that is now. Uh, I naively thought that it was a straight-up request. I agreed to do so if they gave me a copy of the product. and um, Although I couldn't accept any money for it, probably because of his of his day job, but if they could hook me up with one of these uh, laptops, he said, I never heard back from them. Um, we've we've seen sort of rules put in place about especially things like Instagram and Twitter posts where celebrities are uh, used to endorse products, and I think Snickers got a bit of a, a telling off for this a while ago. Mind you, is it the blame of the product or the blame of the person doing the promotion? I think maybe shared, but. In this case, then, yeah, they kind of come out and say, "Can you promote this security solution?" A few people have, but um, I think maybe one that people need to consider how responsible they are. If you have got more than ten thousand followers, you are probably seen as quite the uh, the influencer. So, if if you are going to start promoting one single product that you're not able to get visibility of, that you don't work for that company, then people are going to sort of start questioning uh, what your uh, your responsibility is. But mm. it's uh, yeah, it's an interesting one to sort to of say yeah. the least.
0: I think just just knowing you know some of the big players in security, that, that kind of thing isn't going to go down too well with with uh, with a lot of them. But um, interesting story nonetheless. Um, so we've got a few minutes left, then. So we're going to have a quick look at what we've been doing recently and what we're doing at the moment. Um, so last week I was in uh, New York for Infosecurity ISACA North America um, Expo and Conference. So that was at the Javits Center. Um, that was a fantastic w- uh, week there. So that was a two-day event. Um, Got lots of content up on the magazine website now from that event. So, we've got video interviews, I have some really great uh, video interviews with people talking about uh, cloud security, security awareness, uh, frameworks. So, make sure you do check out those videos. they uh, have also got some um, written intervi- interviews with speakers there. So, uh, Theresa Payton, for example, a uh, very um, renowned speaker, she gave a great keynote, and we did an interview with her, which is also now on the website. And just um, session coverage as well, you know, trying to get to as many sessions as we could. Just trying to get to, well, keep our uh, fingers on the pulses of what people are
1: talking about at the event. Yeah, I've been uh, able to attend that conference the previous couple of years. And it's um, it, it's interesting to see a show growing. You know, we, we get to go to some huge shows in the US, but uh, the info security brand is slowly being kind of rolled out in, a, in, in the East Coast there. And, um, well, you know... Again, like I said, the content, the video content that he did is all available on the website, so do take a look at that. Um, I was also able to go to a couple of conferences uh, in the last month. We went to uh, IrisCon in Dublin last week, which was a, a terrific show held by um, the Iris Sir and headed up by Brian Honan. And also, this, just this week, we were at uh, the Cyber Threat, which is organised by Sands Institute and the NCSC, um, which was held in central London. This was quite an interesting show because they combined... Uh, sort of very quite technical talks with uh, a capture the flag um competition, whereby uh you know, sort of groups of I don't want to call them hackers, but certainly the kind of the ethos of people attacking each other in a sort of a, a contest. Was actually held around the perimeter of the room, so um, if you can imagine, there's a guy on stage talking about Jira and and you know ticketing systems. While meanwhile, some music goes off because someone's won a prize. Um, it was quite an interesting lineup, and um, kudos to, to James Lyon, who was the uh, the, the compere for the day and keeping a, a cap on uh, and everyone. But um, otherwise, coming up, there's a few things coming up, and I just want to flag. Um, two webinars, actually, uh, that we've got in particular which uh, we want to point towards, as well as, of course, all our other webinar content. Uh, On the 19th of December, we're going to do our annual uh, Cybersecurity Headlines in Review, our end-of-year webinar, where we look back at 2019 and some of the themes. And also, just announced this week, actually, is on the 9th of January, we're going to look at um, New Year, New Decade, New Threats and Challenges, looking at predictions for 2020 and the 2020s. So, literally, both are both to register as is a number of uh, we've got four more webinars at the time of recording which will be available to listen to and also our online summit which took place back in September is still available to uh to get hold of uh, in terms of uh, December content, Michael, what's there's quite a lot going yeah, on.
0: I can't. Well, we can't, I can't believe that it's almost the end of November when this webinar, uh, when this um, podcast is live. It will be December. It's come around so quickly. But yeah, we've got a ton of uh, content lined up for a traditional uh, end of year slash uh, Christmas hurrah, I guess. So we're going to be looking back at um, trends of the year, getting uh, people's thoughts on what were the big key themes of the year. Of course, we'll be looking forward as well with our usual uh, prediction series, so you can keep an eye out for those, looking to see what
1: experts in the field think is, is coming in 2020. Yeah, so do look out for all of that, and again, obviously, you know, daily news on info security as well, um, but for now, I think we'll bring things to an end there, so Michael, thanks very much. We'll see you in December.
0: Welcome to Into Security, Info Security Magazine's podcast.